so indeed there was an 11th hour change I have a message prepared from the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 it's an important message and I wanted our whole congregation to hear it as many as could make it that is that message will wait until next week and uh, in the meantime I have a message prepared part of the background uh, preparation I did this week was in Matthew 6, which is Jesus' teaching on money from the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'd like to do is to take two weeks, actually, to look at Jesus' teaching on money. It's really important that we, uh, that we hear what he's teaching, and this blizzard, the snowstorm, allows for us to extend the series one more week. So I have a, I have a brief message to offer you from, from Matthew 6, and um, and we'll, we'll just take two weeks talking about how we can devote our money to the Lord. So I think, as I was thinking about where I'm at with money and where I think many of us are at with money, um, a lot of us feel as if money is a necessary thing that we have to deal with. Some of us don't enjoy particularly dealing with money or thinking about money, budgeting, planning for retirement, uh, checking our bank account, our E-Trade uh, sort of savings situation, uh, our, our loan situation, um, but we have to deal with it anyway. It's somewhat of a necessary evil. And so uh, money helps us live our life. Without money, we couldn't live our life. And so we found ways to make it work financially, but uh, we don't necessarily uh, think about money a lot. We could use more of it, but we don't necessarily give our lives to making tons of money. Um, I think some of us are um, tempted, uh, as we are in many other areas of life, to separate the, the, the bare reality of money in our life with our spiritual life. That those two things are in different realms. We've got our money, which is sort of like what we need for, uh, for, for paying our rent and paying our bills. And then we've got our relationship with, with God and we, our, our worship life. And to a certain extent, those two things are, are separate. Um, Today what I want to do is to, is to step right into that gap between the, our financial life and our spiritual life and see what Jesus has to teach about bridging that gap. Because what he is going to teach from Matthew 6 is that money has an incredible bonding power. Money has an incredible bonding power for us personally and for us spiritually. And we're going to look at that together. So um, turn to Matthew 6 if you've not already. Matthew 6 verses 19 through 24. Look with me in verse 21, Matthew 6, 21. We'll start there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your money and possessions are, there your heart will be also. Um, Jesus is teaching about money in that it has a capacity to bond us to, uh, to anything. Anything that we give our money to our heart will begin to bond to, that, to those things. Um, and so this is why Jesus warns against um, bonding yourself temp- to temporary treasure. He's not saying don't own anything. He's not saying don't get involved in financial dealings. He's simply saying where your treasure is, you're going to care about those things more, so be careful about where your treasure is. He says in verse, uh, verses uh, 19 and 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Now, in Jesus' day, um, uh, the, the treasures that you owned, most of the treasures that you owned were organic. Very few people had uh, liquid assets um, or any kind of uh, money stored up in banks. That was not the reality for most people. Most people, their treasure was their, their livestock and their plants. And so those organic realities had a way of, uh, of getting deteriorated extremely quickly. Um, and so um, uh, also they did not have the security systems that we have today. And so robbers and bandits was a much closer reality than it is for us. And Jesus is pointing to the fact that, hey, your possessions, the things that you would, your livestock and your plants and, and your clothes and the things that you, you see as so highly valued that if you just had those things, you'd be secure. Or if you just had those things, you would have status. Um, uh, don't put your faith in those things because they're evaporating before your very eyes. I remember uh, when, when I was, I think I was around seven or eight years old, uh, I had this constructs set. And I don't know if you have any of you played with constructs, um, but they were like Legos, only not as awesome. Um, but I had designed this, what I thought in my own seven or eight-year-old imagination to be an, an incredibly complex and brilliant structure with constructs. And um, I had really invested a lot of time and heart in that, in that set, in that, in that design. And I do remember at one point, the household went through what my mom described as, you know, the house cleaning. The house cleaning is coming, and nothing will survive. All structures will be undone that can be undone. All, all things that can be vacuumed up will be vacuumed up, and there was nothing stopping this, this, you know, this incredible tsunami of cleanliness that was just sweeping through every single room in our house. And I remember being totally devastated, like, I just made something brilliant. I poured my heart into it, and, and the house cleaning is swallowing it up, and it felt unjust, but it also felt horrific, and my life was being undone at the time. Um, now listen, what Jesus is pointing to in this text is like, there is a house cleaning that's coming. And all manner of temporary structures and temporary possessions um, are going to be put in their proper place. And some things aren't going to last. In other places in scripture, there's an image used of fire. We bring before the Lord, when we stand before him and give an account of our life, we bring before him all of the fruit of our labors. And we set it before him, and, there's a, and metaphorically speaking, there's a fire that takes place. And some of the work that we've done and some of the things that we've invested in are worthy to last for eternity, and the fire will prove that it's worthy. The fire will burn up things that don't last, things that don't matter, things that were trivial, things that were un unworthy of the truth, goodness, and beauty of the kingdom of God. And those things won't last. Some things will last. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, there are things that will last in eternity that you can invest in now. You can, you can stockpile, um, in a good way, uh, things that are good, true, and beautiful in the kingdom of God. And those things will last. Put your money there. Put your money there because that's the best investment that you can make. But there are other things that will be burned up. There are other things that you can see even now they're being burned up. Uh, don't put your heart in those things. And the way that you don't put your heart in those things is you don't invest in them. Um, again, Jesus is not saying that we cannot engage in temporary affairs, that we, cannot, um, that, we, that we cannot engage financially in this life, that we cannot own possessions. 
but he's warning us that there is an incredible bonding power that money has to bond us with things and to put our hope in things that will not escape the house cleaning of the kingdom of God. Um, And this is why Jesus points us in the direction of the things that will last. Look with me in verses 24 and 25. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One of the things that is so sobering about Jesus' teaching on money is that for him the issue is really clear. And for us, a lot of times the issue can get really fuzzy. What we care about, sometimes we kind of care about the things that last and the work of love. And sometimes we kind of care about our own stuff. And sometimes that for us, it's like, well, it kind of all bleeds together, all goes together, and, and, and God must understand that and be okay with it. But in Jesus' own words, he sees a division coming. And he actually can see a division right now. He can say that there is, in fact, a master that you are following. And either your money is causing you to serve things that will not last the house cleaning, things that are being eaten up right now, or things that you won't be able to take with you when you die, or it will be bonding you to God and the kingdom of God. But ultimately, there is a division coming and there is a division even now and his teaching is a warning he is enlightening us because he wants to warn us it is so possible for us to deceive ourselves about our own greed it really is with many other things whether whether uh you know it comes to sex it's not too hard to deceive ourselves we can still do it about sex um as tim keller says you don't go all of a sudden, hey, wait a second, you're not my wife. Adultery is really easy to spot. Okay? Same thing with, with murder. Like, oh, wait a second, why am I sticking a knife in your back? <laughs> I think the Ten Commandments say something about this. It's so tangible and so real. But with money, it's so easy for us to compare ourselves with others and go, oh, that person is more committed to their finances than I am. Or that person has more than I do. I live on so much less, I must not be greedy. The fact is that greed can exist with people who have a lot of wealth. Greed can exist just as strongly with people who have very little wealth. Greed deceives. We don't think of ourselves as greedy. And that's part of the power of greed. It blinds us to its own reality. We can call it a thousand other names. We can devote ourselves to money and be completely deceived about the fact that we're devoting ourselves to money. Jesus says no man can do that. No man can serve two masters. You cannot half serve the master of wealth and and also be serving the God of that wealth. Um, Superglue is interesting. I don't know if any of you have had a a frustrating experience with superglue. But do you know what I'm talking about? What is the frustrating experience with superglue? You're trying to use it to bond, to fix something or to bond two things together. But what happens with superglue is superglue bonds you to it, to itself. And you're like, wait a second, how did this happen? What's the life hack that can deliver me from this situation? My fingers are bonded together by superglue. It's always a bad, frustrating situation when superglue bonds you to itself. But this is the power of money, my friends. 
Money, which is a bonding agent meant to bond you to God and to the kingdom of God in ways that will free you, money can bond you to itself. And your fingers can be like this and be like, oh, wait a second, I care way too much about my retirement plan right now. I'm checking E-Trade five times a day. What's wrong? Or I'm, 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 I'm looking at what someone else has, the possessions that they have, um, or the job they have, the, 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 the benefits they have, and, and I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm obsessing about it. And, I, and in fact, I'm living for money. And Jesus warns us that money has an incredible bonding power, and he says, look, you can serve the bonding power itself. You can get bonded to the bonding power. You can serve mammon absolutely. And friends, he was not speaking to wealthy people. Some of the people were wealthy, and, and in fact, some of the people who followed Jesus used their wealth to build the kingdom of God, to even house and, and, and throw parties with Jesus invited to it. So he's not saying wealth is bad. But most of the people that he was speaking to had almost nothing. And yet he knew they could die and have put most of their possessions, most of their hard investment in things that do not last. So what do we do if we know this is true? If we know that money has a bonding power and money can either bond us to God and God's kingdom or money can bond, bond us to itself or bond us to things that are unworthy of our, of our heart's investment, what do we do? To answer that question, look with me at the metaphor that Jesus uses in verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now this is an unusual metaphor that for modern readers, we're not immediately going to know exactly what Jesus is talking about. So let's unpack it. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Um, Jesus is basically saying that the body is going to take its cue from the eye. And there's a disproportional size in between the two. The eye is small, the body is large, but the body is, if you have, the vision, if you have vision, if you have the capability to see, the body is going to take its cue from what the eye is taking in, the inputs that the eye is taking in, and will follow the eye. And then he says, so if your eye is healthy... Now, this word healthy is very interesting. It can be, it's, it's a play on words. That's a, there's a subtlety here um, that, um, that you can see if you're, reading, if you're reading this verse in its original language. So we have to draw the subtlety out. The word healthy can be translated either single or generous. Either single or generous. The translators have chosen to use the word healthy. Um, but uh, what Jesus is saying, and, and commentators have, 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 have unpacked this, that um, single-mindedness and generosity for Jesus go together. That those two things, that, that, that if you are single-minded for the kingdom of God, you will be generous with your money. Um, and, uh, and, and you can even see this when he talks about no man can serve two masters. There's a single-mindedness. When it comes to our money, there's a single-mindedness that God requires. So if the, if the eye is both single-minded and generous, your whole body will be full of light. There will be an inner uh, purity. There will be an inner clarity. There will be an inner health. If, if, if your eye is single-minded and generous, your whole body will be full of light, be full of health. And then he says in verse 23, but if your eye is bad, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Essentially what Jesus is pointing to here is there's a potential for us to be corrupted from the inside out based on how we spend our money. The eye takes its cue from, or the body takes its cue from the eye um, and follows the inputs of the eye, so our heart takes its cue from how we spend, save, and give our money. Don't miss this. Our heart, the center of our desires, what we believe about the world, and how we spend our life takes its cue from how we spend our money, how we save our money, how we give our money. Our heart takes its cue. Now, haven't you seen this before? Where um, if any of you have, um, have put your money in a stock, you watch that stock a lot more closely. Or if any of you have given money to a charitable cause, you're more likely to check up on how that charitable cause is doing, how it's going. If you have been generous with a friend because they were in dire straits, maybe their car broke down, and you're like, hey, I want to help you out. I want to make sure that you're okay. You're like, hey, how's your car? how are you doing? How's your car doing? Did it get fixed? You're more interested in what you invest in. You're more interested in what you spend your money on. One of the ways to unmask the invisible power of greed and the bonding power of money is to just take, print out your credit card statement and see what's on there. And then you know what you care about. Open up your, your bank account statement. Look at where your money is going. And you'll find out what you care about. And you're like, wait a second, Aaron, I don't care about ComEd, but it's there every month. <laughs> I'm like, I know that. I don't care about ComEd either. However, why do I pay my bill? Because I don't want to be cold today. I don't want to be hot in July. So I pay my bill. It's important to me. And if I follow, if I follow the trail of marshmallows, I'm like, yeah, like I care about being comfortable in my own home. Nothing wrong with that, right? It, just, it shows what we care about. Likewise, when I look at the Starbucks reloads, I'm like, well, I guess I care about not being a monster in the morning. <laughs> Is my self-justified way of explaining that. <laughs> Just as the body takes its cue from the eye, so our heart, the human heart, the things that we most care about, takes its cue from how we spend our money, how we save our money, and how we give our money. Here's the freeing truth about that. If you want to follow Jesus and you don't feel him at all, you don't care about his mission, you don't, you're like, hey, look, I, I admit, I don't care about justice. I don't care about worship. I, I honestly don't feel it. My, I'm not feeling it. You can lead with not trying to change your feelings, but changing the flow of your money, changing the direction of what you make your investments in, not what you intend to make your investments in, but what you actually spend your money on will directly influence the rest of your life. It is incredibly powerful what we do with our money. It's like the eye. It's as influential to our life as the eye is influential to the rest of the body, and that's what Jesus is teaching. So, um, here is, here's a test for you. The test is, print out that statement and take a look at it. Spend 15 minutes thinking about what you care about based on the raw data of the flow of your money. And consider, which master are you following? And I'm not talking about how much money you or I have. We've all got different net worths. We've all got different incomes. 
but we all have the human heart. We all stand before God and will give an account for where our money is going. The other test I want to encourage you is to, if, if you're not giving to the kingdom of God, I want to encourage you to start, and it can be, a, it can be small. Make a small start in investing in the kingdom of God and see what the Lord does in your own heart. And we'll talk about this more next week, but I know, I know some of you barely making anything, or you're in school, or you have lots of debt to pay off, and I want to encourage you to start now and see how the Lord changes your heart. It is so good for us to begin following Jesus before we feel like we are ready, to start serving the master of our money before we feel like we have any money. It will bond us to him. We will enter into more trust with our Father, and we will see him provide for us in ways that we would not have otherwise seen because we wouldn't have been paying attention. Because no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money's bonding power is strong. Don't be deceived. It is at work in your life. It's at work in our church. My prayer for us corporately, my prayer for you individually and for myself and my own family is that we would be free from serving money. We would be free from the love of money itself. The money would be a, a servant, not a master, as we follow Jesus and seek his kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.